It happened when I was in third grade in a church basement. I have no memory of what church it was. My family didn't attend any church, so surely it was some friend who invited me. But I don't even remember who. I know I didn't go back, though I don't really know why. But I remember the church basement, the dim orange lights, the dank underground feeling of the air, the smell of Elmer's glue and paint from the arts and crafts supplies set out for me and the other kids, the teacher, an older woman with the same short, aquanetted, tightly curled hairdo as my grandma. It happened that evening. I memorized my first piece of scripture. Three guesses for what it was? John 3.16. I would much later come to understand that it was uh, the King James Version that I had memorized. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I got a prize for being the first to recite it completely. So many of you grew up Catholic. Did you go through this? No. (laughs) Elaine's face says it all. (laughs) I'm not exactly sure when John 3.16 came to the forefront as the definitive, recognizable piece of scripture. But you do see it everywhere, right? The names of ministries and outreaches. It's on billboards and signs. It's inscribed on football players' face black. It's the only piece of scripture you could probably name chapter and verse, even if you didn't memorize it in third grade. And from what I understand, the prominence of John 3.16 really came about with Billy Graham, uh, who used this verse repeatedly as the central piece of his message in his crusades crusades that eventually billions of people would turn into. Why is it so popular? Well, it's simple, I guess. An elevator speech, a a soundbite of distilled doctrine. As I was taught, there were two types of people in the world. Those who believe in Jesus and have everlasting life, and those who don't. Those who believe in him are saved, and those who don't, well, you fill in the blank. Billy Graham wanted you to be certain of your eternal destination. He could give this to you. Here's how you could be certain. John 3.16, in or out, yes or no. I was a third grader. I mean, God, Jesus, that all sounded great to me. This easily digestible soundbite changes once you stop isolating this verse and read it in the context of the full story. Simplicity or certainty does not seem to be Jesus' aim here. You heard the story. A man named Nicodemus approaches Jesus. Jesus isn't Nicodemus isn't just any man, he's a religious teacher, a leader, a man with answers, certainty, clarity. Nicodemus has heard some things about this rabbi, and he wants to hear from Jesus himself. You're a teacher from God, he says, because you've done some amazing signs that are only possible with God's spirit. The text mentions, I don't know if you caught it, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. 
implying he's metaphorically in the dark, that even though he's a teacher, he doesn't really understand what's going on with Jesus. So Jesus gives this poor, already confused man a truly confounding set of images in his answer. Did you catch them? He says, you have to be born again, or from above, in order to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, okay, what what does that even mean? Well, Jesus goes on, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. All right, well, so tell me about the Spirit. How does this work? Maybe mechanically. Jesus suddenly starts sounding like a new age guru after this point. He stretches out and says, Brother, imagine a wind that blows anywhere, wild and unpredictable. You can hear this wind but not see it. It's not at all in your control. That is what the Spirit of God is like, man. Nicodemus says, I'm still not really following. (laughs) Jesus now looks at Nicodemus incredulous and says, what exactly wasn't clear about this? (laughs) And it's kind of a funny story, honestly. 20th century thinks, agreed. 20th century Christians managed to distill a soundbite, but Nicodemus leaves with less certainty than he came in with. His questions not only unanswered, but more confused with strange images about being born again, about water and spirit and snakes being lifted up in the wilderness. The only version I ever heard of this was being flattened through this lens of certainty, the black and white, in or out. People told me to be born again meant saying a prayer to accept Jesus as my Lord. I don't know of any birth like that. I don't think that's really doing much justice to the image Jesus uses here of birth. Birth creation happens because of an abundance of love between people. There's gestation and formation for a long time after which you go through a brutal process of entering the world through a birth canal at terrible and dangerous cost to the woman bearing you. You are brought through pain to breathe air for the first time, to see a world you've been inhabiting, but to which you were blind this whole time. It strikes me that I had very little to do with my birth at all and how terribly intimate the whole process is. Maybe in using this metaphor, Jesus is saying other people's love and desire and selflessness and pain make me who I am. That seems true to me. Like Jesus said all this in order to try to get those of us with answers to let them go to open our eyes, that the Spirit of God is like the wind, out of control, but there, invisible, but felt. Jesus says that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, 
But belief is not a thought. Belief is best translated as trust, something very different than thought. Right? It's one thing to believe you exist. It's another thing entirely for me to believe in you. If we could trust a little more in Jesus, who says in the moments where it's all out of control that that's a spirit moving, if we could trust that, you'd see the life that he's talking about, the eternal kind, the life that lasts. Amen.